Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. And birthday boy Chamatkar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. Oh, yes. Uh, I'll let him tell you his, uh, his TV age in a minute. But, um, yeah, it's good to have you on, on this special of, most special of days, Mr. Sandu. Mate, listen, it might be my birthday. It's still technically a work day for me. You know, I'm 25 years old. Um, <laughs> you know, well, finally hit that quarter century mark, you know. Um, so by that by that estimate, I've been as a part of the fight game since I was 15. So it's been over 10 years now, roughly. So uh, so yeah, it's great, mate. It's great. It's like you know, like uh, it's what my third birthday since I moved to to Toronto, moved to Canada, and uh, yeah, it's fine. Listen, no big plans. I'm just gonna go get some nice takeaway, uh, have some good food with the family, have some beer have some drinks, cut a cake, and then roll on um, the rest of the holiday period. I'm, I'm officially shutting down um, as of right now. So um, the next couple of weeks, very little work for BT, very little work for any of the personal projects I'm involved with. Uh, I think even this podcast is like one of just maybe a couple of things I'm doing this week, you know. So um, And this doesn't even feel like work. I'm just catching up with my mate, talking a bit of MMA. It's you know, good times. Oh, good stuff, good stuff. Well, happy birthday. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, you mentioned that um, you're, you're heading into a partial, partial shutdown. And it's good timing because we've just had the final UFC event of 2020. Bellator have already uh, shut up shop for the year, I think. And uh, we've got a rising event on New Year's Eve, very early in the day for me, which I suspect I'll probably be working for. Um, and, and, and watching Kyoji Horiguchi against Kai Asakura, which will be a banger, by the way. Um, but besides that, I think MMA-wise, all the big stuff is kind of in the books for 2020. So this week's show, it'll probably be a little bit lighter than usual. We, we haven't got too much to preview, but uh, we will look back at this weekend's UFC Fight Night 183 from the UFC Apex. It's been, it's been a mad year. I mean, you know, you think, we started the year, Sandu, Conor McGregor um, and uh, Cowboy Cerrone. And I remember going over there, doing media day, doing all the rest of it. And I put a picture on my Instagram um, last week because it was, I think it was like 11 months to the day or something like that uh, from the media day. And when, when I took this picture, little did I know at the time that would be the last time, the last event that I'd be on the road for. For the entire year, which is insane to think of, but that's the kind of year we've had. Um, but the UFC have adapted. They've adapted. They've managed to keep their shows going. We had Fight Island. We had Jacksonville initially for a few shows. Then we had Fight Island. Then the UFC Apex opened for business, and it's been pretty much business as usual ever since. And uh, the final show of the year, this past Saturday, Sandu, and uh, no championship fight on the top of the card, but some important fights in a few of the UFC's key divisions. The main event, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson against Jeff Neal. And the big question for that one, Sandu, was would the rising contender topple the long-standing contender now, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson? No chance. Wonderboy Thompson just picked him apart. 50-45 uh, on all three scorecards. Did it on cruise control almost. I thought it was a superb performance. What did you make of it? Yeah, absolutely. There was a bit of a running theme uh, for this card for me personally as, as a big takeaway and that was kind of sometimes the old get fed to the young right but sometimes the old lions prove that they can still hang with a very elite of the division they still have what it takes to produce the goods at the highest level of the game and and that was very much the case uh, across the card and definitely the case in this main event a complete shutout 50 45 50 45 50 45 from the three judges sitting cage side in favour of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He comes back after a year out of the game, the longest layoff of his professional combat sports career. What, you know, it's just great to see Wonderboy back in the cage, getting in a full 25 minutes at 37 years of age, looking really good, looking really good. Um, solidifies his position as a top five welterweight. And I think for Jeff Neal, it was just a great learning experience you know even though he's 30 years old it's not exactly he's not exactly like a spring chicken he's been on a hell of a run 
a hell of a run. If you think about uh, his his you know six fight winning streak heading into this one, uh, some of the names that he's beat: Bilal Muhammad, Nico Price, Mike Perry, but Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, former. UFC welterweight title challenger that was a massive step up in competition and it was great to see both of them both uh, during the fight in some cases uh, but most definitely after the fight uh, being very respectful um, I, I really like to see that um, you know once the, the the fight's over and done with and there was nothing but mutual respect there and Jeff Neal has given major props to Wonderboy in his social media posts and you know for Wonderboy he's back he is back, and he's looking for big fights in 2021. And he called out Jorge Masvidal, someone who he has a win over already. And Masvidal has said in interviews in the past that that's, that's one he wants to get back. So who knows? Maybe in 2021 we'll get the BMF versus the NMF. But all-round good times for Wonderboy, who finishes the final fight, final main event of the final fight night event of the UFC in 2020 with a dub. Yeah, and uh, one of the best walkouts in MMA, walking out to, to Wonderboy by Tenacious D. I mean, you cannot get better than that as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, you look at Wonderboy's career and, you know, he had, that, he had that long unbeaten streak. Then he challenged for the belt. He had the draw with Tyron Woodley. He, he then went back. In fact, we were both at that event, UFC 205 for the draw with Tyron Woodley. Then he lost in the rematch, beat Masvidal. But Masvidal back then was in that in that uh, era of his career where he'd take his foot off the gas in fights. You know, he'd do well and then he'd take his foot off the gas and then he'd lose a decision. And uh, he lost the decision to uh, to Wonderboy in that fight. Wonderboy then loses to Till and then gets knocked out by Pettis. And you think, okay, is he done as a, as a, as a top-level contender at 170 pounds? So then the UFC give him a couple of guys who arguably are the future of the division. You know, people like Vicente Luque, who has been really on a great run of form. He beats Vicente Luque, picks him apart, and then repeats the trick against Jeff Neal. So what it shows you is Wonderboy is still very much a factor at the top of that division. And you mentioned the Masvidal call-out, and I wrote about this from MMA Junkie. I don't think that's the fight he's going to get. I really don't. I think, I think his best bet is to get the loser of the title fight between Kamara Usman and uh, Gilbert Burns. And if Usman retains, Gilbert Burns versus Wonderboy Thompson seems to make a lot of sense to me. I think Masvidal's got bigger fish to fry. I think as a matchup in a in a, in a vacuum, I think it's great. I think it would be a, a good sellable fight. You know, they've had the first fight. Masvidal is, is kind of the hot hand right now. Uh, he's still a real star since he won that BMF belt. And to get that win back would be a big thing for him. Wonderboy's working his way back. But I don't know. I mean, the Nate Diaz fight's out there. For Masvidal, you know, a title rematch is out there. Colby Covington is out there. And if you really want to stretch it, Conor McGregor is out there. All of those fights, I think, are potentially doable for Jorge Masvidal. Wonderboy Thompson is going to be behind all of those guys in terms of uh, what Jorge would want, I think, in 2021. So, I don't know. I don't know whether it was a not a botched call-out. It makes sense, but... I just don't think he's going to get it. What do you think? I mean, I think it was a fun call out. And I, and I think it's always good to attach your name to one of the top three biggest draws in the sport. That's never a bad thing, right? But if we're being realistic, he's done the UFC a solid here. He was the number five ranked guy heading into this fight, but taking on a guy behind him in the rankings in Neil Magny. Neil Magny was number nine. So for me, he's done the UFC a solid. He's proven that he can still hang with the very best in the division. He's, you know, obviously got that win to end 2020. I think he now needs to be looking forward, and I agree with you. I think you wait to see how things pan out with Kamara Usman, Gilbert Burns, maybe even, um, you know, cut weight to be ready because, we, you know, we know things can fall out at the last minute. But, yeah, he should be looking at maybe the loser of that fight or perhaps be a last-minute replacement, say, for example, Gilbert Burns. Um, isn't able to make the fight, something like that. Um, another option could be perhaps, let's see what happens between uh, Leon Edwards and Hamzat Shemaev. It looks like that's going to be the the middle of the week fight night main event uh, when the UFC returns to Abu Dhabi. So you'll have uh, the Max Holloway-Calvin Qatar fight on, on a Saturday. 
You'll have the Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier pay-per-view the following Saturday. And then in between, on that Wednesday fight night card, it looks like we're going to be getting Leon Edwards and Hamza Shemaev. So if I'm Wonderboy Thompson, I'm keeping an eye on that one as well. Um, maybe it's the winner of that fight. Maybe it's the loser. But that's the kind of, again, those are the kind of opponents which I think make sense for Wonderboy. Because then in that situation, he's just one fight away from perhaps fighting for the title again in 2021 so but yeah overall really really great performance from wonder boy and uh it proved you know at 37 years of age you know with, with a long layoff you know he's back he's back in a big way and again it was completely dominant he put on an absolute striking clinic uh and outside of finishing jeff neil it was the perfect performance yeah, he's a master of range. You know, he, I, I don't think there are many, many other fighters I can think of who can control range as well as Wonderboy Thompson does. And, you know, he is, he is a striker. You know, he has got a bit of wrestling in his game, but he's an out-and-out striker. And for him to be able to still be a factor at the top of the game without really having that much wrestling uh, in, his, in his arsenal, uh, or certainly not an awful amount of offensive wrestling in his arsenal, uh, is is it just shows you how how good he is at controlling range on the feet? Um, big performance from him. He's going to need a big fight next. Someone else who wants a big fight next is Jose Aldo. Co-main event took on Marlon Vera. Side note, Sandu, my picks for this event were absolutely disgraceful. It was the it was the final week of uh, our MMA Junkie Picks League, and I was the defending champion. Uh, from last year and I, I went out with a whimper I wasn't going to win um, it, that that became apparent pretty early on in proceedings but I went one and four with my main card picks which is absolutely disgraceful the only saving grace is two of my other MMA junkie colleagues who will remain nameless to spare their blushes went 0 and 5 it's that kind of fight card there were so many fights on this card where you could make a case for either guy in the matchup and uh, I had Marlon Vera in this fight. The one I got right, by the way, was Wonderboy Thompson. He's the only guy in the main card I predicted right. I thought Marlon Vera was a guy who he had the game. I thought he was on the way up. And I thought Jose, he's beginning to show his age a little bit. He's still good, no doubt about it. But I thought Marlon would be able to uh, to outpace him over three rounds. Not so. Jose Aldo gets the win. Unanimous decision. Wasn't a it wasn't a, a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. It was a competitive fight, twenty nine twenty eights across the board. But what it does tell us is, the man who not all that long ago, we all looked at each other and went, "There is no way that man is making one hundred and thirty five pounds." Is is still very much a factor in the world title picture at bantamweight, and he wants T.J. Dillashaw next. T.J. Dillashaw's Usada suspension finishes. I think it's January the 19th uh, next year. He wants a title shot straight away. I would be gobsmacked if he got it because he lost his belt because of a failed drug test for EPO. I think he's going to need to beat at least one guy before he gets a shot at the belt. Um, Jose Aldo could be that man. He called for him. I think it makes a lot of sense in many ways. I mean, what did you make of Aldo's performance? And then what did you make of the call out? Aldo's the sort of guy who's been getting called out for years and years and years. Now he's the guy dishing out the call-outs. Has he, has he pitched it right? This was as perfect as it gets, both in performance. Uh, you obviously mentioned that it wasn't exactly a dominant performance of like the Wonder Boy fight. It was very competitive. I had it two rounds to one to Aldo. But this was his first win at Bantamweight. You know, he finally gets that first victory at 135 pounds and does so against Marlon Vera, who I've been high on. I know you've been high on. Everyone's been high on Cheeto Vera. This was a huge moment for Vera. You know, he got that Sugar Show victory and they put him in a situation where he's taken on Aldo. You, you beat a former champion and, and you know, the, the greatest featherweight arguably of all time, albeit at 135 pounds. That means something. Having Aldo on your resume absolutely means something. And so, wow, Marlon Vera's good, but he's not there yet. He still has some work to do at the very top level, at the very elite level. So he needs to go back and do some homework and, and round out his game. And for Aldo, maybe it's, it's just taken him a while. Maybe it's just he's needed a few fights at this new weight class at 135 pounds at bantamweight to figure out, you know, um, how it's going to work, to figure out uh, how his body is going to be able to handle performing at the highest level at this weight class. He debuts against Marlon Moraes, loses a split decision. 
which I think most people, I certainly had it for Marais, but you could you know, score that for, for um, uh, Jose. Sorry, he, he lost the fight to um, uh, Marlon Marais. I perhaps had it scored for Jose Aldo, so that one could have gone uh, up in the air. He then loses uh, the title fight against Peter Yan, the current champion. Okay, but he finally gets that victory against Marlon Vera. Fantastic. And then, yeah, like you said, he calls out TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, why not? People are interested in the return good battle indifferent for TJ Dillashaw because he's got this heat. He, you know, he's had this suspension because of Yasada and it was, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't one of those tainted supplements or something in my protein shake. It was that I cheated. I got the highest grade stuff I could get. I got caught and I, and I hold my hands up and it is what it is. And so he's been getting, you know, he's been getting slaughtered for it and rightly so since he admitted it. And it's not as if, the fight game is going to welcome him back with open arms and give him a big old hug when he returns. Can you imagine if there's fans available and TJ Dillish is going to walk out for his next fight? Like, he'd get booed and jeered right out the building. So it's almost a blessing that it looks like when he comes back, there's still going to be no fans allowed in the arena. And in regards to the fight, that's the fight. Aldo, Dillashaw, two former champions, two big names in the sport. That could, you know, headline a fight night card. That could be an hors d'oeuvre on a UFC pay-per-view main card. That's the fight. And yeah, considering uh, how the UFC bantamweight division currently is, that fight could produce a potential title challenger for later on in the year. Yeah, there's, a, there's an old phrase that says, lies, damn lies, and statistics. And it basically means you can say anything you want with statistics. Listen to this. That was only Jose Aldo's third win since the summer of 2016. Staggering, staggering. And, you know, I, I, I led into this section saying this win proved that he can, he can hang at the very top of the bantamweight division. And you followed straight in by mentioning the one thing that I neglected to mention, which was that was his first win at 135 pounds, which is equally staggering. You know, he went in there with the Marlon Marais, uh, and got beat, but the UFC treated him as if he'd won that fight. Um, he then went in there with Pity and got got well beaten. Um, but he's now got a win under his belt at, at, at thirty five, and I think he's in. I think he's, he's as you said. I think he's got the call out absolutely spot on because you look at the rest of that division. A lot of the matchups are already coming together, and he needs to stay up there. Who's the one guy who is going to be an instant factor at the top of that division that doesn't have a dance partner? TJ Dillashaw. And if you're TJ Dillashaw, target number one is a title fight. He's not going to get that because that's going to be Aljamain Sterling versus PDM. And that's going to be early in the new year. So unless Dillashaw wants to sit around until the summer, then he needs to fight somebody. Who better than Jose Aldo? Former champion, one of the most decorated fighters in, in, in UFC history, really. You think how long he reigned in that featherweight division. Get a win over him. You are there straight away, top of the heap. So makes total sense. Makes total sense. And as for Marlon Vera, you know, one of the one of the nicest guys in the game. You know, we've had chance to 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 meet him and chat meet meet with him and chat with him in in London a few times. Um he's been on a great he's been on a great run. I mean he's he's had two losses from his his last three, but that came on the heels of a five fight win streak. Um and he, he's been competitive in every fight he's had. He lost to Song Yudong. He was super competitive in that fight. That was a fight of the night. He was then competitive against a legend in Jose Aldo. And obviously he had that big win in between against, against Sugar Sean O'Malley. Vera's not going anywhere. I think he can rebound from this, get himself a win against someone sort of towards the middle to bottom half of the rankings just to steady the ship. And then he can set, set his uh, sights on someone else. Um, Perhaps the guy you could take aim at next is a guy we might talk about a little bit later on uh, in this recap. But before we talk about the other bantamweight fight on the card, let's talk about the welterweight fight between Michelle Pereira and Chaos Williams. I predicted, um, and you might have done as well on last week's show, this is going to produce fireworks. This is going to be mad. This is going to be crazy. This is going to be must watch must see tv and i even tweeted i think to the effect saying don't blink or you know something like this of course it went to a decision i i take full responsibility for this because i am known to jinx fires but i don't think any of us could have predicted 
uh, Pereira coming out and fighting like a normal person. Like, when I say fighting like a normal person, I mean like fighting like a, a regular UFC fighter would fight. He went out there and he, he fought smart. He didn't try any, he, well, he didn't try too much crazy stuff. You know, he, he, he had a little bit of a dance on the way to the cage and did all of that. We didn't see him somersaulting off the cage or doing loads of capoeira and all that stuff. I think it's because he knew that if he made a mistake, Chaos Williams was going to knock him out. But he never really gave Chaos that much of a chance. Um, and he was always, he always stayed sort of right on the very limits of Williams' power shots. Got the win on the scorecast, 29-28 across the board. Now, people watching that fight might come away feeling a bit disappointed. I put it to you, Sandu, that that might be the most important win in Michel Pereira's career because it showed that he's capable of fighting to a game plan and winning and doing what he needed to do to get the victory. If he'd have gone in there all, you know, high-flying, WWE, flying off the cage or doing whatever else he wanted to do, there's a good chance he could have got starched. But he didn't. He fought smart. He got the win. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think there's moments to have fun and, you know, fun and games and play around. And then there's moments to be serious and implement a game plan and make sure your strategy is on point. Because someone like Chaos Williams can you know, turn your lights off in a split second, as we've seen in the past, as we saw in his last couple of fights. So, yeah, I think Michelle Pereira did the right thing here not to mess about over the course of those 15 minutes. Um, definitely had no problem or dispute the result of that fight. I actually had it scored for Michelle Pereira. This was an important fight for both guys. Um, because I think you know both guys are coming into this one with a lot of momentum um, for for various different reasons. I personally was stressing because the give you a little behind the scenes story here. The software that I use um, to uh, to kind of clip bits and pieces from the broadcast jammed up on me right before the fight started. So and and like I was like oh no here we go the the most arguably for social media the most important you know fight of the night in terms of producing you know quote unquote a moment right and my software is jammed up on me it it figured itself out right as the fight was ending and I thought phew thank God for that because otherwise I probably would have got a nice good old fashioned bollocking. Um, had I not put out something in a, in a timely fashion, if something crazy had happened, or if there was a uh, an incredible knockout, wasn't the case. I I was a bit more calm and comfortable after the fact. But you know what? That's exactly to 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 kind of paint the kind of picture that you just did, Simon. We were all expecting something crazy to happen in that one, weren't we? We were all thinking, you know, given what these guys have produced in the past, given their highlight reel, this is the one. You know, don't blink. Something mad is going to happen, and it's going to happen probably in the first couple of minutes. But um, I think, listen, at the end of the day, great performance by Michelle Pereira. And also, I think this was a great learning experience for Chaos Williams. Um, you know, I'm sure like he probably felt a bit of pressure to continuously produce something spectacular. Right. And as we've seen with Israel Adesanya, sometimes you get the finish. Sometimes you just have to be smart, you know, because you're in a high profile fight. You're fighting top guys in the UFC. And at the end of the day, the first thing you have to care about is the result results matter first how you get that result comes in second so chaos williams will be back he didn't get knocked out didn't get finished he lost a decision it's fine he'll bounce back from that and for michelle Pereira, the momentum keeps you know moving forward in the right direction for him and like i said he's still fun to watch sometimes it may not be necessarily during the fight maybe it's the walk out to the cage maybe it's the weigh-ins maybe it's the face-off uh but it's good value nonetheless yeah and uh he called out Anthony Pettis after the fight. Now, obviously, I don't think that's a fight he's going to get. Um, apparently, the, it, it was a fight that had been discussed with the UFC previously, and Pettis basically said, no, I don't want that fight. Um, so I don't understand why he then called for it again, with, you know, or, or called for it knowing that Pettis didn't want it. I don't, Other than outing a guy for not wanting to fight you, I don't see what that achieves. But while I wrote this up for Junkie, a fight did appear in my brain like a little mini epiphany a little light bulb went off it happens every now and again and um i thought to myself that would be that would be mad that would be brilliant i want to see this fight if the the uh the fight between leon edwards and hamzat chimaev goes leon edwards way hamzat chimaev versus michelle Pereira would be a lot of fun i would love to see that obviously if chimaev wins he's he's getting a title shot let's not mess about he's going to get a title shot but 
if Leon Edwards scores him, um, gets the win, and uh, he goes on to potentially face Usman in a rematch, Chimaev's going to need an opponent who is in and around the rankings, who has a name of sorts, has some sort of some sort of presence in the UFC welterweight division, but maybe isn't necessarily one of the huge stars at the very top of the division. Michel Pereira might just be the guy. I like the sound of that matchup. And, uh, you know, we need we need things to happen in order for that to become a possibility. But from a bit of fantasy matchmaking, that's the fight I would like to see, Sandy. What do you reckon? I love it, yeah. And I agree with you. I think the Anthony Pettis call-out, I mean, I, I get it. But, and again, we're probably going to, you know, dive into that a little bit later on in today's show. But I think that train has, uh, has, has passed by um, because... My inkling is that we've seen Pettis in the UFC for the very last time. And even if he is going to stay in the UFC, I don't think Michelle Pereira is going to be on his radar. I think uh, the, you know Pettis taking the fight against Morono was the one time he was willing to take a kind of non-quote-unquote you know, name opponent. If he's to sign with the UFC, he'd be looking just for the biggest fights possible um, in his weight, cl- weight class. And... Michelle Pereira is just not there for you know not there yet for me if I'm being honest you know um, he's kind of like uh, to take a pro wrestling term a mid card guy at the moment he's not the, he's not a, a main eventer just yet so we'll see what happens in 2021 we'll see if the UFC can actually um, you know promote him as such but not just quite yet yeah and um, on top of all that you know he's a guy he he needs a big name Anthony Pettis needs a big name but it's not going to be each other. It's not going to be each other. Now, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's win, Sandu, got him a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. Also earning a well-deserved $50,000 performance of the night bonus was Rob Font, long-time bantamweight campaign who's been in the UFC for what seems like forever. He seems to have found the real sweet spot in his career now. He's in arguably the best form of his career, fighting at the very highest level. Goes in there with Marlon Moraes, who has been... Ranked in the top three for a long time at Bantamweight and just puts him away in superb fashion. Three minutes, 47 seconds was all it took. Rob Font getting the job done, picking up a cool 50 G's bonus and uh, coming away from it looking like a very, very dangerous contender. The only downside in, in, in his column really is that he doesn't have the star power that some of the other guys at Bantamweight have got. And that might mean that he has to work a little bit harder to get the title shot than maybe your Jose Aldo's of the world who got one after losing. Um, but um, make no mistake, he's in the mix. And I thought that was a that was an absolutely superb performance. Mate, I think this was the performance of the whole night. I love this fight and I love this performance and I love the finish by Rob Font. New England cartels. Uh, that's the faction includes him, Calvin Qatar, and I think one or two others. Uh, but I love that whole kind of we are the New England cartel faction because it helps kind of promote them as as a crew and a group in the sport. Um, man, he just absolutely murked Marlon Marais, and I think Marais made a huge mistake coming back so soon following that loss to Corey Sandhagen because his 2020 could not have ended any worse. October 10th loses to Corey Sanhagen by TKO. And then literally two months later, December 19th, loses to T- loses to Rob Font by TKO. If I'm Marlon Marais, I'm just taking a bit of a chill pill for a while um, and kind of reevaluating things because he was knocking on the door uh, of a UFC championship not too long ago and he's now fallen down a few pegs for me. And so we'll see what happens and we'll see if he's able to actually you know figure it out, um, get a few wins. But in terms of matchmaking... I don't think anyone in the top five, top six makes sense for Marlon Marais. I think you've got to be very careful with him and then build him back up slowly again. And as for Rob Font, you know, it was funny that you know, Rob Font, the other bantamweight that won on the card alongside Jose Aldo, also called out TJ Dillashaw. And I think had Jose Aldo not called out TJ Dillashaw, perhaps come Monday, Tuesday of the following week, we'd be talking about, hey, Rob Font, TJ Dillashaw, maybe. Let's see. But that fight's gone. I think if anyone's going to get it, it's Jose Aldo or somebody else. Um, but if I'm Rob Font now, I'm looking at 
you know, perhaps names like, I don't know, a Dominic Cruz, someone else that's a, a former champion of the weight class uh, that's currently ranked ahead of him. Um, someone like that, or, you know, I think you're looking at someone like, you know, a Jimmy Rivera, a Pedro Munoz, someone like that. And just to continue the climb, because right now, you know, so he is someone that you should get excited about. He's on a three-fight win streak. Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simon, Marlon Moraes. I mean, the Moraes performance is huge for him because, again, like you said, Simon, Moraes has been ranked in and around the top three for a very long time now. So talk about getting a statement win. So happy for Rob Font. Yeah, I guess the other option is for Rob Font to fight Jose Aldo. That, that, that might be the answer because I think you look at what Rob Font has done. He's just beaten Marlon Moraes who is ranked right up there. Anybody else they can give him is going to be ranked beneath that. And when the new UFC rankings come out, whenever that is, it should be tomorrow um, or Tuesday, which is when his podcast comes out. You would think that he'll be ranked right up there because he's just, he's just knocked over a top ranked contender, but it seems a bit harsh that he might then have to face someone who's ranked below him in the rankings after already beating a top ranked guy. But I think that might be what he has to do, sadly. Um, there is a logjam at 135 pounds. There are so many good fighters at 135 that it's hard to sort of navigate them all and, and, and match them all um, in a sort of meritocratic way because it's so difficult, especially with this COVID thing as well, people fighting at different different frequency and all the rest of it. So. It is a tough one. Uh, Rob Font deserves the biggest fight he can possibly get next. And I think that's what his agent should be saying, his manager. I think it's a case of sitting down and they might say, look, Rob ain't getting a title fight next. And then the next thing should be, give us the highest ranked guy that's available. Because that's really what he should be doing. You know, he shouldn't be fighting these, he shouldn't be fighting anyone ranked below sort of eighth or ninth in the rankings, really. The only caveat to that, and, and I do typically agree with everything you just said, I just feel like if by the time the new rankings come out, even if he is ranked ahead of someone like a Dominic Cruz, for example, I just think a name like Cruz just means so much. We're talking about the greatest bantamweight of all time. And to ha have a, a win over Cruz means a lot, even in 2020 heading into 2021. So yeah, I agree with you. Ideally, someone ranked ahead of you because then the math works out. You know, you're climbing the ladder. You're kind of inching your way to a potential title shot. But if a, a dominant cruise fight presents itself, jump all over that because that means a guaranteed main event on a fight night card or a, or a marquee spot on a pay-per-view main card. And like I said, a, a win of a, a someone like Cruz means a lot on your resume. Yeah, definitely. It's a tricky spot for him to be in. But it's also a first world problem. He's now a legit contender at £135. So... Um, I think he gets a big win next time out, then uh, he's going to have legitimate claims to be shouting around for a title shot. So uh, big, big win for Rob Font. And someone else who picked up a call 50 grand was Marcin Tabura, who looked like for a little while that he was getting his backside handed to him by Greg Hardy uh, in the, the heavyweight main card opener. But it became very... I mean, Hardy looked really good early. I, I was super impressed. His striking looked a bit tighter. He was super aggressive. He seemed to sting Tabura with some big shots. And at one point, it looked like he might even be, might even be able to get him out there. Uh, sorry, out of there in, in the first round. He didn't. And uh, the gas tank ran dry pretty quick in that second round. And once Tabura saw that, it was... I mean, Tabura's been through a lot of three-round heavyweight wars. You know, he, he's, he's a guy who... He, he's incredibly tough. He's, he's solid on the feet. His bread and butter is on the ground, however. And, uh, you know, he got the fight done on the ground in the end. It was TKO, but it was that ability to just completely sap Hardy's gas tank. Finished him late on in the second round. Big win for Marcin Tabura. And uh, just a little a little nod to, uh, to Greg Hardy that you're making plenty of progress, but you're not quite there yet. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Tabura next and how the UFC deals with Greg Hardy, who they've been itching to put the rocket boosters on him ever since he arrived in the UFC. Now they're going to have to just pump the brakes just a little bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, Simon. Greg Hardy started the fight great. Very active, but 
the gas tank just started to deplete. I think he was just kind of going a little gung-ho um, and couldn't conserve the energy heading into that second round. And that's when Martian Tybura just kind of showed his his veteran savvy. You know, he's a 35-year-old. He's got, what, almost 30 professional MMA fights under his belt now. He's His overall record now is 21-6. and six. So the next time we see him, it'll be his 28th professional MMA fight. What a 2020, Simon, for Martin Tybura. February defeats Sergei Spivak. July beats Maxim Grishin. October defeats Ben Rothwell. And then finally in December, he beats Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy. I mean... I mean, you can't get better than that, right? We're in a, a, a pandemic. There's some guys that can't get a, a single fight and didn't get a single fight this year. And here you have someone like Martin Tybura. Not only did he get his fourth fight in, he gets his fourth win at heavyweight, a division where things can turn turn around and, and you know be in your favor very, very quickly, depending on the kind of run that you can go on. And I thought it was pretty funny how in his post-fight interview he said, you know, given his striking ability, he should be perhaps fighting uh, Anthony Joshua or or Wilder or Fury next. So he's a lad with a nice sense of humor, got a great victory. And I tell you what, when I put that social media post out um, of the finish, Greg Hardy, man, he's got his haters. And I think there are a lot of people that really enjoyed seeing him get walloped by a March Tabura because it was relentless ground and pound until the referee finally stepped in and waved it off. So uh, I think a lot of people felt pretty good about seeing Greg Hardy get, take an L there. Yeah, I thought the referee gave gave Greg Hardy every opportunity in that in that fight to get out of trouble. I think you could have stopped that fight earlier than than uh, than it was, but uh, but yeah, gave him every chance. Tabura just kept on raining the strikes down and got the win. You mentioned his four fight win streak. What is also remarkable about that win streak is the fact that previously he'd lost four of his last five. I mean, he was in trouble really. You look at it. You know, he was struggling in the UFC heavyweight division. He'd had some big fights, but he was losing them. So it's a case of, okay, what are you going to do? And um, this is an example of a guy who has stayed fit, stayed stayed in shape, and has taken opportunities as they've been presented to him during a really difficult time for people. Has stepped in when the UFC has asked him. He's fought for a heavyweight to fight four times in a year. is is pretty remarkable. And... Uh, to win all four is is even even more so. You know, three decision wins and then getting the finish against Greg Hardy. I don't I know Greg Hardy has has a lot of his haters and we've we've already touched on on uh, his backstory and everything that has led to that and I don't think we need to keep retreading it every time we talk about Greg Hardy. What I would do though is talk about his evolution as a fighter and even though he lost there are signs that he's still improving. I think we're seeing step steps of improvement from fight to fight. What I do think is that he got a little bit excited. I think he saw that he was he was doing quite well on the feet early on against Martin Tabura. And I think he fell in love with his power a little bit and just loaded up too much too early. And when you're a heavyweight, when you're fighting these top, top heavyweights who know how to take a little bit of punishment and uh, are capable of just sort of just rolling with the shots a little bit, you're going to use up a lot of energy trying to tag them with the perfect shot. And, uh, you know, we saw we saw what happened after that. But I think if they can teach him, just take take 5-10% off your shots and uh, just concentrate on placement rather than power, I think he's going to start finishing people even more emphatically than he has in the past. Um, and uh, I think we will see Greg Hardy have a big year in 2021. And I think that this defeat, eventually they'll look back at this and say, this might be a bit of a turning point for him. I think he's going to probably bounce back pretty well from this. But uh, yeah, given everything that has gone before, not surprised to hear what you said about the social media post. I think, uh, you know, people love to love to have a bad guy when it comes to combat sports. And uh, for, for a lot of people, Greg Hardy certainly seems to fit into that category. That was the main card of UFC Fight Night 183. And it was kind of a weird one for me because... Normally, we take a look at these fight cards, Sandu, and we sort of look at what the big talking points of these these shows are. And 99 times out of 100, we're talking about the main event, the co-main event, and normally there's something crazy happens on the main card and we sort of pick, pick through that as well. Arguably, the biggest talking point of the entire event came in the prelims. The featured preliminary bout was Anthony Pettis against Alex Morono. Alex Morono, a guy who I picked, obviously, um, because he was in good form, I thought Morono might actually get it done. Wrong. Um, 
But Anthony Pettis did the business. Uh, won the fight 29-28. Competitive fight, as any fight involving Alex Morono will be. Uh, but Pettis showed the quality to get the fight done on the scorecards. But more importantly than that, it was his last fight in the UFC. And you touched upon this last week, Sandu. Um, you said that you, you think that this particular fight will prove to be the last fight in the UFC for Showtime. Well, we're now at that point where his contract is up. He's now in a period where he can renegotiate. He can renegotiate with the UFC. They'll they'll have a matching period where he can go off and talk to PFL, Bellator, One Championship, whoever, and then bring those numbers back to the UFC and say, here's what I've been offered. And the UFC have the chance to match. But is that what Pettis wants to do? I've, I've spoken to some of my colleagues earlier today, actually, about Pettis. And... Um, Bellator, to me, seems like it makes sense for the same reasons that you mentioned. But there are other options out there. And a lot of people are of the view that he'll stick around with the UFC. I mean, I don't think there's a wrong decision here. I think he's going to do all right wherever he goes. But let's just pick through them and, and assess each one. Why not? I mean, he's going to have options from, I think, all of the major promotions. And let's start with Bellator because that's the one that you've said you said you, you think that's where he's going to go. I think that's probably the strongest option as well. Lay it out for us. Well, look, number one, this win over the weekend is the first time he secured back-to-back wins since 2014, since he was champion. Since then, you want to talk about one of the biggest names in the sport being inconsistent. The poster boy for that is Anthony Pettis. And so really great. Like I said, I felt so good about seeing some of the old guard Wonderboy Thompson, Jose Aldo, Pettis picking up wins this weekend. It made me feel good because some, these are the guys you know, that were part of a generation that really helped not build the sport, but take the sport to that next level, right? And man, Anthony Pettis is such a, a big name in the sport, you know, record aside. People know who Showtime Pettis is, right? So he's fought his last fight for the UFC. So he's, he's, a, he's a free agent now. Your younger brother is already in Bellator, right? You're 33 right now. You're about to turn 34. He turns 34 in January. So he's just a couple of weeks away from his 34th birthday. His next contract might be might be his final major contract of his professional fighting career. We don't know if he's going to fight until he's 40 or into his 40s, right? But in terms of Anthony Pettis still fairly much, you know, in his in his prime, maybe he's just a little bit past his prime now. Maybe he isn't capable of winning a championship in the UFC or fighting top two, top three, top four guys. But he's he's still got so much value to his name. And again, I might be completely wrong. Maybe he can still you know reach that reach those heights uh, and get a championship in the UFC. But I've, of the interviews that I've seen, he keeps talking about if he stays in the UFC, it has to be big names. And like I said earlier in the show, this was the first time he really took a step back in terms of a named opponent. No one really knew who Moreno was, right, heading into this weekend. Most people still don't know who he is, right? They were tuning into that featured prelim fight because of Anthony Showtime, Pettis. If I'm Bellator and I'm thinking and assessing the situation here, 2021 is a big year for you. You should do whatever it takes to get Anthony Pettis because, number one, it wouldn't be you're getting like a, a UFC cast off. Right, it's not as if you'll be acquiring someone that's on a losing record leaving the UFC. He's he's on back to back wins, right? You have then the ability to promote both the Pettis brothers, which is always a great PR marketing stint uh, for uh, for fight promotion, and you've got someone that could potentially be your lightweight champion, right? And knows how to do interviews, has a big social media following. He gets the game. Plus, it'll be a fresh batch of fights for your current Bellator lightweights, right? The only thing that could perhaps sway it the other way and bring it back to the UFC's favor is, like I said, Anthony Pettis wanting to fight the absolute biggest names in the sport. And the biggest names in the sport are in the UFC. So is that something that he's prepared to perhaps take a pay cut on? Or is it purely about the money? Then you start to factor in Dana White saying a couple of weeks ago that they're in this a middle in the middle of a cull here where they're letting a lot of you know guys go you would have to think that Pettis is probably one of the highest paid guys outside of the champions currently on the UFC roster just given how long he's been with the promotion so 
when I, when you take that all, all into consideration, you look at some of the uh, the, uh, the the fighters that Bellator have acquired, Anthony John- Johnson, Yoel Romero. Listen, if they're signing Anthony John- uh, Rumble Johnson and, and Yoel Romero, they most certainly would be in the market for an Anthony Pettis. He's like I said, he's only about to turn thirty four. He's coming off wins. He's 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 got some momentum. Right, and he's a former UFC champion, and he's a name in the sport. So, so for me, I think this this would be this is going to be a a slam dunk acquisition for Bellator because I think they're going to get the checkbook out and do what it have takes to sign Anthony Pettis. The question is 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 Pettis willing to perhaps put money aside in favor of trying to get the biggest fights possible for his legacy and to fight the biggest names in the sport, which are in the UFC. Yeah, I I thought about this today. Um, and I don't think he's going to get those fights in the UFC because he's in a lightweight division, which is one of the most crowded divisions in the sport. He isn't highly ranked in that division right now. He's been competing at welterweight, so he's kind of dropped away. So he's got the cachet of being a former champion, but he's got to go in there. He's going to have to win a a fight against a dangerous but perhaps not top-ranked guy, and then he's got to build his way up. But he's at the age of his career that has he got the time to be doing that before he gets the fights he wants? He wants big fights now. So there's different ways of looking at this. So so there's that angle with the UFC. But I don't know how much of an upside there is unless unless there is a a crazy fight like a Conor McGregor fight all of a sudden that that presents itself. I just don't see quite how he's going to do it. I don't see... I mean, I guess a rematch with Tony Ferguson would make sense at this point. I I think that's a fight that could potentially be made. I mean, Ferguson obviously coming off a defeat. That's probably the biggest name fight that he could you know, realistically look at right now. But beyond that, it's hard to see how he gets himself in. He'd have to beat Ferguson decisively and then he's kind of on the fringes and then he'd have to beat a Dan Hooker or someone like that who is a, a very, very, very good fighter but he's not what Pettis would consider to be a big name. If you're talking star power, social media following, all the rest of it, Pettis is the A side in that fight, even though Hooker will be the higher, the higher ranked fighter. So, but you look at Bellator. There are he has options galore in Bellator. He can join Bellator. <clears throat> he said he wants to fight predominantly at one hundred and fifty-five pounds, and he wants to go for. He said he wants to win uh, the title again, but obviously he was referring to the UFC title. He's won title. He's fought in three promotions in the UFC. He fought for a promotion called Gladiator Cage Fighting when he started out. He won the belt in that. He then fought for the WEC. He won the belt in that. And then he went to the UFC and he won the belt there. All lightweight. Why not make another another space in the trophy cabinet? Go for a fourth belt. Go for a new promotion. Bellator makes a lot of sense. Also, it allows him the chance to have big fights that might not necessarily make huge sense from a divisional standpoint because Bellator their structure isn't quite as rigid. They're a bit more fluid with their matchmaking. So, for example, he might be targeting uh, Patricio Pitbull and, and, and you know, the lightweight belt. But he fights at 170 as well, does Anthony Showtime Pettis. And he's a striker. He's a flashy striker. They could book Anthony Showtime Pettis against Raymond Daniels. They could book Anthony Showtime Pettis against Michael Venom Page. And, of course, Bellator have the trilogy fight with Benson Henderson sitting there, ready to be made at 170 or 155. So that, for me, is why Bellator, as you said, slam dunk, that would be the first choice. If he just wants to win a belt, one championship is an option. Because if he wants to get a belt as quickly as possible, one championship is probably the fastest way to get a title shot. Because I'm sure they could negotiate that, get him in, he'll fight for the belt in his first or second fight, Boom. You know, I think that that would be an option for him. He would be very well paid. He's got a great image that would go over well in Asia. So that is an option. And I think they could pay him a lot of money. Whether that money is available right now because of the pandemic is another thing altogether. And they're not exactly hosting massive fight cards right now. They're hosting like five or six fight cards with a mixture of MMA and striking fights. So opportunities to fight might not be quite as frequent. It's got to be Bellator, isn't it? Unless he wants to jump in a PFL tournament and fight his way to a million. But you've got to work a lot harder to get your paycheck at the end of it, right? Um, I think he could go to Bellator, get a big a big contract, 
there are big fights just sitting there waiting for him and there is a legitimate shot of potential championship fights in two weight classes if he can keep his form so for me no brainer Bellator all the way yeah I mean when you line up all the pros and cons of every single situation I think all of the pros listed for a potential move to Bellator is the one that makes the most sense and I'd imagine we'll probably find out fairly soon because what better time to negotiate with the UFC with better tour with anyone when everyone's shut down for at least the next month, right? Everyone's off. They're not busy promoting a fight or promoting an event. So I would imagine that, who knows, maybe before this year is even up, that things are going to move fairly quickly on this situation. I'm sure that UFC are probably going to make Anthony Pettis their offer, Bellator will make their offer, Pettis will decide one way or the other, and then that's it. It'll get announced, and then we'll figure out what his uh, situation is for 2021. But yeah, right now, Anthony Pettis, the hottest free agent in the sport, and I'm very curious to see what happens there. Yeah, I think wherever he goes, it's going to be big news. And uh, there's also the slight possibility that the first piece of news could be that the UFC are opting to not offer him a contract. Given everything else that's going on, they might think the amount of money they're going to have to lay out to secure his services doesn't really reflect in the level he's, he's operating at in the 155-pound division. They might take the view that we've got six or seven guys who are ahead of him. Do we need to pay him huge six-figure sums for each fight? Maybe not. So who knows? But I think, I think all signs point to Bellator. Uh, and from a personal standpoint I, I i like the fact that the talent is being spread out a little bit more um because it means that every mma product we watch is just that little bit better you know i like seeing the pfl strengthen their roster it means their product will be more fun to watch i like bellator loading up on big signings because it makes their product more interesting to watch the ufc are never going to have that problem because they're the market leader they've got the the, the bulk of the best fighters in the world they're nicely set so I think I think it works out. I think in, you know the winners at the end of the day hopefully will be the fans because they'll get to see more big, fun, interesting fights in 2021 and beyond. Very quickly, Sandu, just to touch upon a couple of the prelims. Um, Tafon Nchukwi uh, picked up a big win. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. 30-25, 30-26, 30 A couple of contender series uh, graduates in that fight against Jamie Pickett. And Jimmy Flick picked up 50 grand. Flying Triangle. We don't see them every day of the week. Um, that was his Octagon debut. Um, huge way to start his UFC career at flyweight. He could be a factor at 125, Sandu, in in, uh, in 2021. He's a dangerous man on the map. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, a Flying Triangle, you know, it's not something that you see every day. It was prior to the beginning of my shift. So... That was on the fight pass prelims for everyone in the UK and Ireland. But those fights, you typically see finishes published on the UFC social media handles. And, and that's where I saw the finish. So kudos to Jimmy Flick. And, you know, like you said, 50 grand to someone that's performing and fighting on, on a fight pass prelim doesn't happen that often. So kudos to him. Yeah, nine decisions. Nine decisions on the fight card, which was a bit of a shame. I mean, we had some decent fights, but I mean, nine decisions is quite a lot. Just... Just the three finishes, I think it was, uh, over the course of the night. Rob Font, Martin Tabura, and uh, Jimmy Flick. So um, that was the final UFC card of 2020. We've got a couple of weeks before we head into um, sort of preview mode again for uh, the UFC in 2021. But that doesn't mean the Britpack's going to disappear on you before the end of the year, Sandy. We've got, we've got another show planned before the end of the year. That's right. So next week we'll do a best of. Um, I'm sure we'll you know, think about what we want to you know, discuss in terms of categories. But I'd imagine we'll talk about male fighter of the year, female fighter of the year, knockout, submission, event. But more importantly, I think just news items of the year. You know, obviously I think COVID is going to be a major one, but it'll be nice just to reflect back on 2020 uh, and share some thoughts. Maybe we could share some you know, personal anecdotes. We've been on, on journeys this year. Our careers have changed. The industry has changed. The media landscape has changed due to this pandemic. 
So that'll be a fun, fun show to do. And then I think the first show of, of 2021 will be a kind of an early predictions where we'll kind of look into the crystal ball and make some predictions with regards to what we think is going to happen in next in the next 12 months, not just for the UFC, but for Bellator, who we, who we feel like are going to have maybe their banner year, just given how everything's lining up for them in terms of a new home in CBS Sports and Showtime and Viacom and how they're spending on fighters. It's going to be a very exciting year for Bellator plus you know, one championship are still there, uh, and they're still, uh, you know, I think, a, a, a bit of a sleeping giant when it comes to the the markets outside of Asia. They're obviously doing very well in Asia, and yeah, I think Cage Warriors and the local promotions will hopefully start to or continue uh, to put on shows and develop talent as we head into 2021. And then, like you said, Simon, I think then by the time we reach the the, the second show of 2021, we can finally. Look forward to a big event again and preview some fights. And man, just looking ahead at the schedule already, January, we're getting a Conor McGregor pay-per-view. And that's going to be an absolute banger of a fight against Dustin Poirier. And that's going to like almost be the, the cherry on the cake of what we expect to be an incredible fight week for the UFC in Abu Dhabi. It looks like they're going to kick off with Max Holloway versus Calvin Qatar. The midweek card, it looks like we're going to get, or finally get, Hamzat Shemaev, Leon Edwards, and then we're going to get a pay-per-view with Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. So a lot to look forward to, but if between now and then, we'll have a bit of a overall review and an overall preview of 2021. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, you th- if you think about it, the year, 2020 started with a Conor McGregor pay-per-view. Who knew what was going to happen after that? This time we're going in with the eyes wide open. We know how the world is right now. Um, all we can do is cross our fingers and toes and everything else that things start to ease up. Things start to get a little bit better over the course of 2021. And maybe, maybe this time next year, we're talking about having seen a few shows with fans and, heading towards normality i don't think it's going to be an overnight change back to how things were but uh the important thing and and you know a good thing is the fact that the sport has has adapted during these difficult times and has done a remarkable job in doing so and uh hopefully we've got the ufc in good shape we've got bellator looking to come back pfl are looking to come back they've got provisions in place to run their shows behind closed doors in 2021 one championship seem to have sorted themselves out in terms of running their shows. Rising, who are going to host a show on New Year's Eve, they're beginning to host shows. The Rising show on New Year's Eve is going to have 10,000 fans in at the Saitama Super Arena. I found that out today. That was a bit of a surprise. But um, all the big guns are in play. And then you've got your Cage Warriors, your Cage Fury Fighting Championships, Titan FC, LFA. They're all up and running as well. And they've all got plans for 2021. 2020 was a year of improvising, adapting, working out how to do this thing. 2021, everyone's kind of got this thing sussed now. So fingers crossed whether the fans are in the building or whether they're stuck at home watching it on the TV. Hopefully, it'll be a big year for the sport and for all the promotions we mentioned. It should be a lot of fun covering it all. And we will do that right here on the Brit Pack. That's all we've got for you on uh, on this week's episode of the show. Last one before Christmas. So uh, to everybody out there, have a great Christmas. Um, Be safe. Look after everybody around you. Hope you have a good time. I know a lot of you on my side of the pond are going to be pretty locked down. Um, And it's probably like that on your side of the pond as well, Sandu. But um, have a good one. And uh, before we go, uh, let everybody know how we can can all stay in touch over the festive period and uh, how they can get the show moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So... Moving forward, where we really want everyone to check us out is YouTube. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're not going to be leaving those platforms at all. But as things currently stand, this show is available as an audio-only product on YouTube. But that's going to be changing in 2021. So get involved nice and early, like, subscribe, uh, drop some comments, drop some feedback on our YouTube channel because that's going to be a major project for the Brit Pack in 2021. 
So YouTube is the platform we'd love for everyone to to join us moving forward. And that starts with the audio only version of the show for the time being. Outside of that though, we are at the Britpack MMA on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Exactly. And uh, the BritpackMMA.com, if you're not sure where you want to go, just go straight there and then pick the platform of choice. Um, I think uh, we've got YouTube on there now and uh, all of the usual podcasting platforms will be hooked up on there as well. Uh, we've got one more show in 2020. We'll do a little recap. Then it'll be into 2021. It's going to be, uh, hopefully, a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully you'll stick along with us for the ride. Have a really good Christmas. Have fun with your family. Enjoy a bit of turkey. Have a bit of a drink. Enjoy the uh, the rest of this year. And uh, we'll speak to you just to round out 2020. 